Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, the first episode of the Daily Edition. So here we are. It is February the 19th, 18th, sorry, February the 18th, 2021, and we're going to start with these lessons. We've got the Psalm is 37, 1 through 18, the Old Testament lesson, Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 11. The epistle is Titus 1, 1 to 16, and the gospel is John 1, 29 to 34. And what I see as the thread that runs through all of these things is the faithfulness of God and our response to God's faithfulness. It's an important thing to, to think about that because we do the, everything we do is in response to the love of God and the faithfulness of God. And, and we need the security of knowing that He is a faithful God, that what He has promised will come to pass, and He will persevere even when we are wayward. He will persevere in His love for us. He wants us to be His children. He has redeemed us. He has um, laid down His Son's life for us, and so He has done more for us than we could ever imagine or ever hope for. And so our response to that is faithfulness to Him. It's to trust Him at His Word and to do His Word. Those are the important things. And so when we, we need sometimes to remind ourselves and recall the faithfulness of God, we be, need to look for that faithfulness and expect that faithfulness, even when it tarries. We're told over and over again in Scripture that we need to persevere in waiting on Him and believing in Him and believing in His promises, even if the fulfillment of those promises and the promises tarries and we're waiting and, and waiting sometimes and it feels like forever and that is God going to come through and we fall back on the knowledge of his faithfulness and we fall back on the um, the belief in his promises we can take him at his word and that's the Deuteronomy passage I mean if you think about what Deuteronomy is it's really just Moses's valedictory address to the nation he knows that he's not going into the promised land and, and he has things that he needs to say to the people. He needs to say to them things about God and things about themselves. Because after 40 years living with these people in the wilderness and, and dealing with all their shortcomings and all their failures, and even one of his own, then he knows something about human nature, and he knows something about the nature of these particular people. He knows something of the nature of these people walking with their God and trusting their God. He knows that we're inconstant. And so what he wants to do is build them up and remind them of those things. And sometimes in order to build people up, you need to warn them against their own proclivities because we all have a tendency to do certain things. And so we want to be warned about those, but at the same time we want to be built up in love and we want to be built up in the things that we do well. And so that's a large part of what Moses is doing. He's reflecting on this 40-year history that he has built up with these people now as he led them in the wilderness all those years. But he's also got a history with God. And so Moses, more than any other man in history, until Jesus comes along, honestly, had a history in God and a history with God and a closeness in a different type of relationship. Remember, he would go to the tent of meeting, and he would meet with God, and we're told, as a man meets with another man, face to face. So they, they had a very different relationship, as God is, is leading Moses in order that he can lead God's people. 
So he's built up that history, and so he has a lot of things to say about God because he knows things that they don't know. He, he sees the, the experiences in the wilderness from a very different perspective. And so he tells them the very first and most important thing about them, and that is you're a people holy to the Lord. That's who you are. And we need to remember that we are holy to the Lord. We're called to be his people in a certain way, right? We're a kingdom of priests, just like they were. He, keeps, oh, he says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. We need to be reminded of that. We need to own our own identity in God. And then he goes on to say that why are they his people? And it's simply for one thing. It's not because you were numerous, not because you were better looking. It's not because you were any of those things. It's simply because the Lord loves you. He elected them to be his people and chose them out of all the people on the face of the earth. I could tell you a funny story about that, but I don't have time to do that in this format. But uh, you'll hear it somewhere along the way. And then he says it's two reasons, really. It's the Lord loves you and he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So he is, he's a God who elected them simply because he loved them, not because of any characteristics they had or because they were so wonderful. And then he did it because that he had a covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that's the reason. He's a covenant-keeping, faithful God, but he also loves them. And then he goes on to recount what they did. And then he goes on to recount what God revealed of himself after the episode with the golden calf. He's a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So in order to love God, there's a a responsibility laid upon us to keep his commandments as well. It's not just saying you love him. In fact, he gets to the end and he he tells them that that he he is a loving, merciful God to those who love him and keep his commandments, but he repays those who hate him by destroying them. And he says he'll repay them to his face. And then he finishes up by saying, you shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. So what we do matters. Somehow in the evangelical world for a long time, we, we got the sense that, that all we had to do was say some sinner's prayer and, and we're good to go the rest of our lives. That is not an Old Testament concept or is it a New Testament concept? And so next one I'm going to look at for the faithful part of it, again, is going to the gospel lesson. And so what you've got is John the Baptist who points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he makes this bold declaration. He's going to make it again in our lesson tomorrow. He's going to make that bold declaration again. And why is John so sure of that? You remember later in his life, there's a time when he is in prison, and his, he sends his disciples to go and see Jesus and ask him if you really are the one. So I don't think John's having wavering thoughts at that point. I think he wants to attach those disciples to Jesus. And so he goes and and Jesus says, here are all the things that I've done. Go and tell your master. And so he has kept all the Old Testament prophetic promises about what this Messiah would do. And so he's, he's sending that back to John, that information, so that John can know and that these disciples can know that Jesus is indeed the one. But at this point, John is so clear on this. And then, then he says, why? He's so clear. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So all these years, John's been doing this work of baptism. He's been looking for the fulfillment of that sign, and he looked for the fulfillment and did that work knowing that he could trust that that sign would indeed happen. And once he sees the sign, he latches onto it and he knows, and he's not going to waver. From that, no matter the fact that Jesus hasn't done anything, not a single miracle, has just been a carpenter. But but John knows he's the one, and I know he's the one because God's faithful, and he's the one who sent that sign for me to see because he promised that very sign. So he, God has been faithful to John, and because he was faithful to John, John now latches on to truth, and he begins not to proclaim the one who is to come, but the one who has come, the one who is right there in front of him. In, in Titus, Paul is speaking to his disciple, Titus, who he's left behind him in Crete on the island and, and to build up a church, to, to build a church there in that place. But, but his job was to do some very specific things. It was to put people in place to carry on the work. But Paul's very clear about his own call and why he does what he does. He says he's a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul, like John, trusted in the promise of God for the one that he would send, and now he proclaims him with boldness and unwavering confidence in that truth. And that's what we're supposed to be, too. We're supposed to have faith like those two men had. And then John said, I left these, left you behind, Titus, there in Crete, so that you could do some things. You could put in place or, uh, elders and overseers and, and to put these people in charge. And then he goes on in that passage to give the qualifications of those elders and overseers. And they all have to do with the conduct of their lives. The expectation is that all these people believe Surely, if you're going to make them elders, they're going to believe, Titus. But what he says is is that the conduct of their lives matters as well. And so the way that we love God, the way that we show our faith and our trust in him, is the conduct of our lives in accordance with his word. And here's how Paul finishes that. He says, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So let's know who we are. We are those who are called to be holy to our God. We are His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, we are a kingdom of priests serving our God. And we know who that God is. He is loving, he is faithful, and he is covenant-keeping. His promises are true, and we can trust in those promises. And the way that we love him best is to trust him in his word and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules.